Blog Talk Radio. Give me the flats of dawn with plenty of tailing fish and the perfect fly rod and get ready for some magic. Join Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish. And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. I love it when a sound bite doesn't work when you push the button. Welcome to Kayak Christian Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, a little late. Lost the effect. I was going for like the uh, element of surprise there, James Page. Megalodon don't care. Megalodon doesn't give a F. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of Kayak Fishing Radio. Um, it really needs to be renamed as Kayak Fishing Micro Skiff Radio, or Micro Skiff and Kayak Fishing Radio. But anyways, ridiculous. I thought the Jaws theme would be pretty cool. All right, so real quick, uh, tonight's topic, as you may have seen if you saw the Facebook post that I was late putting up again. Sorry for that. Uh, Hectic day for the Levi's. Um, But uh, I watched a live feed joining us right now, by the way, Captain Alex Gritschke. Yep. Yay! That was almost perfect timing. It was almost perfect timing. How are you, sir? I like it. Good. Really good. As always. It's hard to have a bad life in the day of Alice. Yeah. Uh, I love your positivity. Yeah, you got to be positive. Think positive. Think positive. Um, So uh, I was just about to tell everybody that I watched a... Uh, Facebook Live video today, and it was actually really, really interesting. Like, not going to lie, really made me think. And that doesn't normally happen with uh, Facebook Live videos. But, and I don't want to get the gentleman's name wrong, Prescott Smith. Anybody know Prescott Smith? He is a bone fishing guide from over in the Bahamas, but he is also a champion for the people of the Bahamas. 
And uh, if you don't follow him on Facebook, uh, I would highly recommend that you do so because it's uh, it's pretty eye-opening to see what's going on in the Bahamas in, in regards to their natural resources and, and such being exploited and uh, the state of affairs in the Bahamas is a, is a very interesting ongoing tale. So I would highly recommend that you, you take a second to follow Prescott Smith and uh, follow along with his videos and stuff that he posts today. He posted a video um, of him touring a sponge operation operation. And we know that Florida, of course, is known for its sponges as well. But what's interesting was that the mindset for the sustainability of the crop, because that's what it is, though, it's a crop. Uh, All right, I'll be they back. Go in and they... All right, buddy. Go enjoy, go enjoy the drive. So J- James, oh, James is being sorry. a good hu- a good husband. Are you talking to me? Talking to the wife. I was talking to wife Toner. I'll be right back with her cupcake. See that? I was just about to brag on you too. Uh, James is going to go and I'm get some cupcakes from the store. What's that? I'm going on mute now. It is her birthday. Oh, oh, it's her birthday. Happy birthday. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Sweet. Uh, so James is on mute, and I'll leave his microphone live in case he comes back. But anyway, uh, the mindset of, of keeping their crops sustainable, making, making it a long-lasting crop, dude, they go in and they, they literally just cut the – cut the top part of the, the sponge off and leave the rest of it on the ocean floor and it just regenerates rather than taking the entire sponge, which I didn't know that, that that's how they harvested them. I thought that they go down and they cut them off a rock or cut them off the seafloor, rip them off the seafloor and just move along. I don't know why I found that so fascinating, but I did. So if you could find Prescott Smith's live video from today. It's worth a watch. It goes through the process of how they dry them out and how they package them. And, you know, it's it's interesting, to say the least. All right. That's it. Hope you guys have a great night. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. Do you ever think about things like that? Like, how 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 do they harvest things for... I don't know, home use and souvenirs and trinkets and whatnot when they harvest things from the sea. I think it's kind of interesting to see how it's uh see see how it's uh how it's done. Anybody? I know exactly how it's done. I can't believe you you haven't seen this documentary. When SpongeBob goes to Shell City, he Jesus. meets the diver that turns them into a sundry. Duh. <laughs> and then the tear of the goofy goofer saves them. <laughs> I mean, come on. Science, man. 
can't even. <sighs> I don't have a SpongeBob button. I wish I had a SpongeBob button. So, you yes, I go me, into this whole. I, dude, I missed you bad. I've got. Listen, I went into this whole like talk about sponges and how they're done, how it's done over in the Bahamas. Huh? Yeah, I'm talking to Jesus. Is anyone? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Anyway, um, I went into this big, long talk about how sponges are being harvested in the Bahamas for international consumption or use, I guess you should say. People aren't really eating them. but uh, And it was really interesting. But uh, a gentleman by the name of Prescott Smith, who actually, you know what, we should get him on the show. Because, look. We all, we all dream of fishing in these in these magical places, whether it be uh, the Bahamas or uh, South America or you know Europe or whatever you know Australia. But what we don't think about a lot of times is uh, how are these folks sustaining life? Like what outside of fishing, what else are they doing? And then when you when you factor in the things that are products that you see in the store, like sponges. You see them in like decor stores and stuff where people just like buy a sponge and put it on a coffee table. Um, it's interesting to see where that life form came from and how it, how it was farmed. So anyway, I get through this whole story and I go, anybody else, uh, any thoughts? Sir? And Alex is like, I can't believe you didn't know how this goes. I'm explaining this to my wife right now. I know y'all just heard it, but it's so she's not listening to the actual the actual broadcast. So he says, "I can't believe you don't know the story." SpongeBob goes down to Shell City and meets up with a scuba diver who turns him into a what'd you call it? A sundry? They're sundries. Yeah, and then the. Would you the goofy goofy goober or whatever? I don't know. Anyway, he used he, he used a he worked out the listen, electricity. The, um, come on, this is a tale as old as time. <laughs> he literally used a SpongeBob reference, like the greatest way that you could use a SpongeBob reference in a fishing podcast. <laughs> and that, my friend, is why you are my brother from another mother. Uh, my brain works in mysterious ways. That was actually really good, though, because uh, I, I I didn't even think about the reference with with uh, SpongeBob. And when you first started talking, I swear until you said if you didn't say SpongeBob, if you had said, you know, what, what do you mean you don't know the story of the guy that goes down to the the shell place or whatever and turn, gets turned into a sundry? I would have just been following along, following the bouncy ball. Whatever. Uh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, it, I mean, truly, folks, it, it's neat to see, or it's interesting, I should say, to see real life video, not something that's been produced and put, you know, put up before you on Discovery Channel or whatever like that. It's really cool to to see the real inner workings of an operation like that from a live feed perspective. 
you see a lot of stuff in live feed sometimes that you might not have been, you might not have been supposed to see. I'm not saying that that is in this case at all. I'm just saying that, you know, I used to pass off on live videos, but even my, you know, I do mine or whatever every now and again, but if I see someone doing a live video, I jump in real quick, but I normally don't give it a whole lot of time if it's not like super interesting right away. But this was interesting. I watched it for probably the better part of 20 minutes. Glued actually to uh, to the live feed because it was better than Discovery Channel because I did I mean I'm I'm not watching an actor or somebody who's being paid to do the live feed I'm watching a guy who legitimately loves to go out and harvest sponges and he knows everything there is to know about sponges so it was like not that sponges are the most you know interesting creature in the ocean but they are pretty damn cool sorry. I know I'm on a tangent tonight. Are you, that, I just Chuck, are you saying SpongeBob was more interesting than the Discovery Channel? Yeah. Yeah, listen, the Discovery Channel has, has literally sucked since they started airing nothing but great white sharks flying out of the water trying to attack a fake seal. Like, when Shark Week went to that, it became rubbish. It was garbage because that's all you see anymore. Like, there's how many hundreds of different species of sharks in the world and they focus on like three sharks and you know i just think that like i want to see a video of a wabagong i mean call me crazy i'm just saying like i want to see that video i want to watch a wabagong lay on the bottom of the ocean stealthily for hours on hours on hours until it finally decides to strike out at a passing by fish or something like i think that would be cool Mako sharks no. fly out of the sky too. They don't show Mako that. Mako sharks would be way more entertaining than watching great whites do it because Mako sharks not only jump out of the water but they clear the water by fifteen, twenty feet sometimes. And you're talking yes, about they do. Uh, like one of the what second or third fastest fish in the ocean if you can clock a fish in the ocean. And they're super fast. They jump like crazy. They're they're actually really good to eat. So there's that. But and I got respect for any fish that chases down swordfish and eats them on a regular basis. Like, that's crazy. Nuts. I don't know, Alex. What do you What do you think? I don't watch Shark Week. Yeah. Because I, Shark I used to watch it when I was a kid. Shark Week. Not because, because I'll watch anything about a fish, personally. Um, not because of anything against Shark Week. But it's because of the fact that for like the last, I don't know how many gazillion years, stupid Shark Week falls right dead smack. Or, yeah, Shark Week, because shark week, you go by, by order of priority, Shark Week falls right dead smack in the middle of mini season for lobster. And frankly, I don't feel like watching shark shows for 24 hours a day. For days before I go jump in the water in the middle of the night in the surf zone. Hmm. So, I've given up point. on Shark Week. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I don't necessarily <clears throat> fish for sharks, and when I do, I safely release them. I won't kill a shark. No, because I, frankly, okay. I spend a little bit too much time in their environment to deal with that kind of karma. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't put that evil on. <laughs> Two times. 
two times tonight so far, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not keeping track. Two times in one show using a, a movie reference. Like, it just fit. God, you're on it tonight, bro. Pretty much firing on all cylinders right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. You know, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos lately. Um, just random stuff. I don't really, I don't subscribe. I'll be honest. I don't subscribe to anybody. I don't. I, I have a YouTube page, but I don't do nothing with it yet. But um, I need to start doing more with it. I, I have I a, I have a YouTube page too. Chuck, I have a YouTube page too, and there's a spoof video of me done in my jersey from the from the tourney out there at Cars Park by Paul. I think it was. Rivera, yeah. I think it was Paul. It has like 10,000 more views than any of my videos, so I stopped putting videos on it. Really? Yeah, the spoof video went crazy. That's crazy. I don't have anything, really, that I know of. I, think, I mean, I got a few views, but I'm not worried about all that crap. But anyway, more of the story is I'm, I'm flipping through searching different fishing stuff, whatever, trying to see who's got what going on in the, in the wonderful world of YouTube. And, uh, you know, I come across a couple different individuals who, you know, put on a, put together a pretty good program, uh, pretty interesting stuff. But that's one thing I'd like to see more of. I'd like to see more of like, I don't know, various species, different stuff. You know what I mean? Like, Five million videos of redfish gets kind of old after a while. Like I want to see people target fish in their areas uh, or target different fish from their areas that they don't normally target, like something just kind of off the wall, you know what I mean? A video of going out and just trying to catch as many species in a day as possible. That would be cool. That would be cool. And and for us here along the beaches, for now, uh, we have that opportunity to go and you know, chase several different species of sharks and redfish and black drum and sheephead and mangroves and muttons and things like that all within half mile of each other. And I think watching a video that includes sharks or having a video that includes sharks, but done, you know, not as a goof, like, I can't stand watching the videos where you already know as soon as you start watching it, the guy's got a life, ja- a big orange life jacket on and like a, like a fisherman's hat, old school fisherman's hat. And he's strapped to a kayak and he's, his rod strapped off to the kayak and he's throwing a Jack Cravel over the side. Like, you know, the, the point of what they're trying to pull off, which is basically just showing the world that yes, indeed a 400 pound Goliath grouper will turn your kayak over. Like, we get that. We understand it. We've seen it a million times. Um, or the guys that even take it a step further and do the thing with the sharks where they hook a big giant shark, do the same thing, lock the drag down and get towed over and, and it's all for, you know, internet views and whatnot. But I'm talking like full on, start in the morning, go out and try to put as many species as possible in the kayak. That would be cool. 
I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just think it would be cool. I think it would get a lot of views. Yeah. I think people more and more, I don't know. Never mind. I was about to jump on a soapbox. I'm not going to do that. I got to watch out. Cause I, I gotta, no, I, I got to watch out because I got a, uh, I got a, uh, I got a, uh, a post going right now that's got me uh, having to deal with people. <laughs> Seem to have no common sense for some people. Uh, I, I've been following so, along. So I have been following along. So there's that. Yeah, and, I, uh, and I agree with you. It's been an interesting 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, way. Um, yeah. So, but no, I think that that would be that would be pretty interesting. I mean, I'd like to personally do it myself, where I go out in the river and just say, "Okay, self, I'm going to try and catch as many different species of fish as humanly possible." So you would have to bring several different setups, not setups in the se- in the sense of rods and reels, but several different game plans, several different tactics to target all those different species. But what what do you think like a number would be like? It just depends, of course, where people live. I mean, if you live say where James is at up in Atlanta, your uh, species list is going to be fairly short compared to what it could be down here um, on the East Coast because the West Coast is like all dead. (laughs) But um, I'm not laughing at the fact that the West Coast is like all dead. It's just if you don't laugh at it, you you cry over it. And I'm not going to get on that soapbox either. So anyway... But what what would be like a, a an honest to goodness reachable number of different species that you could do in a day, one day? Ah, oh. who knows? You know, from from hairy blennies all the way up to bull sharks offshore, like pork fish, look downs, whiting, jacks, blue runners, triggerfish, not triggerfish. We won't get those that close. Triple tail. Kings. Like, what would be the ultimate slam? (laughs) You know what I mean? I'll tell you what. We used to could do that behind the power plant. I think, I think, I think what makes a real, like, super slam is going from multiple different, not just multiple different species, but environments. So, pay down in Miami, South Florida, whatever, um, inshore, it's maybe a snook or somewhere down in South Florida, maybe a go all the way down, you know, or, or get, get real crazy with it, a snook tarpon and a, and a bonefish or a, something like that. And then right. you add a mahi and a wahoo to it in the afternoon or something crazy like that. That's what I, I would consider to be something noteworthy of a super slam. Right. No, I totally agree. Something like that would be awesome. I'll take it one step further. Let's say you went out and you fished the morning bite in Biscayne Bay. You caught your bonefish permit and tarpon. Then you take your morning break after the morning bite dies off. You go and you catch, I don't know, snakehead, peacock, 
Mayan cichlid or something? I don't know. What's 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 no 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 clown knifefish. Snakehead, peacock, clown knifefish. And then you go out off the beach in the afternoon for the afternoon bite, like the afternoon evening bite, and then you get your dolphin, tuna, wahoo. Forget it. Like nobody's worthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? This, I, I just feel like at that point, I don't know, man. At that point, that'd be pretty hard to beat. I don't think it'd ever be beat. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I mean, it could happen, I guess, but if the planets would all have to line up right, and I don't know. I don't know. But I like to challenge, I like the idea of challenging ourselves and challenging um, getting outside of our box a little bit, getting outside of our comfort zone and, you know, taking an opportunity to, you know, maybe do redfish, trout, and, and snook here and tarpon. Redfish, trout, snook, and tarpon. And then do it on spin, artificials, and then do it on fly in the same day. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, I think I think that's, you know, especially with the way water quality issues, this, that, and the other, I think that, that you know, and not want to to continuously do nothing but uh, take fish, i.e. the, you know, end of the day at the dock with a pile of dead fish picture isn't quite what it used to be um, for a lot of people. I think in that, finding ways to expand your angling horizons, um, doing things differently and or putting yourself in uncomfortable or unfamiliar situations angling-wise, um, you know, is, is a natural progression that I think we'll see more of as as time goes on, and and those issues come to light even more, and, and people's own understanding of of you, you can't take 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 without giving, um, you know, comes more into play. I think we'll see even more of that. You know, people looking to expand their horizons, going in the to fly fishing or, you know, whatever, what have you, getting a little more adventurous. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, I've always felt like, um, I always felt like after a while, like when we first started kayak fishing together and it was always, um, the same, kind of the same thing. We are always fishing for reds, always fishing for trout, always looking for the opportunity for a snook. We're throwing soft plastics, mainly slayers, of course. And then, uh, you know, after a while, it kind of gets, it doesn't get necessarily old, but it becomes less challenging. And I, for one, uh, like the idea of the challenge more so now than ever. And it's not really so much about the grip and grin picture as it is uh, the experience on the water, especially right now trying to soak up whatever's left uh, that we have here that I can show the kids and stuff that is still really cool. I mean, I saw a couple of horseshoe crabs when I was in the lagoon the other day. And, uh, you know, 
that type of stuff to me, I feel is equally as important as coming up with a creative way to catch a slam or something like that. I think that taking the time now to, to really appreciate what's still here it, that we do have um, so that you can kind of gain a, a better understanding of its importance because we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna get into it because I, I've got some things to say too um, about uh, the way some people handle themselves when it comes to our issues or the way people think about our issues. Um, listen, Florida as a whole is in a very bad spot. In case you live underneath a rock and haven't been following along on social media. And the answer, unfortunately, for Floridians is hurry up and wait. But that's because everything takes time. It took time for it to get to here. It's going to take time for it to get to for us to hopefully turn it around at all or just stop the progression. Um, I could tell you that. It's been a really, it's been a really rough bunch of months, actually a couple of years, good, good five years, really, for us here in, in Central Florida, uh, dealing with our own water issues that have absolutely nothing to do with Lake Okeechobee. What's going on in Bavard County has nothing, listen, people, if any, I seriously doubt we got a whole lot of listeners from our local area, but if we do, it has nothing to do with Okeechobee. Like, every time there's a post about the water quality here on the Space Coast, somebody wants to turn into an Okeechobee conversation. The the Okeechobee issue is a major issue, a horrible thing going on that that every Floridian, actually everybody around the world needs to really pay attention to it because it shows you just what greed can do and just what money can buy. It shows you. In plain sight, like there's no hiding it, right? You can't hide that. And it it should come as a warning to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. I mean, we're heard in 30-plus countries. It should come as a pre-warning to all of you. If your waterways aren't already disgusting and, and dying and all your natural life around the state is going to succumb to, at some point, some form of uh, pollution-type death, pollution-related death. You should pay attention to what's going on in the state of Florida that was once considered the fishing capital of the world, where our number one asset is not Disney World. It's the beaches. It's the ocean. It's the intercoastals. It's the water, the reefs. It's the fishing industry. I'm on a soapbox now, and I'm sorry I'm doing it, but damn it, I'm tired of, of, of the publicity always going to South Florida on this issue. I thought I was going to have an opportunity to get on a syndicated radio program to talk about what's going on in our area as opposed to what's going on down south, and I was skipped over for somebody from Bull Sugar. Now, I get it. We don't have multi-million dollar 
uh, non-for-profit charity speaking up right now for Brevard County and the Mosquito Lagoon, the Indian River Lagoon, the Banana River Lagoon. We don't have that massive voice of lawyers and, and, and people who sit on boards and get paid to be champions for the waterway. We don't have that. We have our own champions for the waterway. I like to consider myself as maybe kind of one of them too. Certainly Alex is, is the voice and, you know, has gotten honestly the most done when it comes to all things considered with our intercoastal. And, but you don't see it on the news. And if you do, it's a blurb, super short. Oh, 870,000 gallons of sewage leaked its way into the Indian River Lagoon today in Titusville. And on the sports, like, that's a big deal. Our issues are a big deal, and locals don't get it. They don't understand it. If you don't, if you don't interact with something and it goes away, it's not a big deal. You're not going to miss it. And I feel like there's a, surprisingly, there's a giant population of people that live within this county that, that truly just don't care. Because they don't interact with it. They don't fish. They don't wade. They don't swim. They don't boat. They don't do any of those things. So, yeah, the water's a little brown. But if you just moved into town, you don't know any different. And then you see that same regurgitated nonsense on post after post after post after post after post. And it, it, it grow, you grow tired of having to constantly educate people on – the, I saw it on Google, so it's got to be true, crowd. But those of us that know what's going on, that have been to meetings and have sat, you know, sat in county commission meetings and port commission meetings and meetings with, with scientists from FIT and everything else and listened and, you know, really grasped the reality of what's going on. I saw somebody on a post related to the recent fish kill up on the NASA property try to say that NASA has an impeccable track record for pollution control. And I'm like, you must work for NASA. Because anybody that lives in Bavard County knows that there's no way they can possibly control and, and, and dispose of every little drop of, of rocket fuel that, or burn off or whatever comes out of that place. And of oh, course, don't know. Don't worry. These people don't realize that 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 my wife was a safety person and environmental. One of my dad's best friends was one of the environmental engineers forever. People seem to forget that things happened before clean water policies and clean air policies. People seem to forget that there were times when we just dumped and dumped and dumped. And people seem to really not understand that when you do that to a stagnant body of water. And those chemicals and pollutants can't go anywhere that eventually accumulation catches up to you and you pay for all of your past transgression. It's true. It's a hundred percent true. And it's, and, and, you know, the thing about it, 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 it doesn't even take like, it just takes a little bit of common sense and I'm not trying listen, I'm not. Yeah, I am. It takes a little bit of common sense to realize that 
anything in the surrounding area of, an, of, of a launch facility is going to have pollutants. It's just going to be part of it. I saw someone say, so, so I think I'm not going to name them, but he said, so now we're blaming NASA. Do they not have, or do they have septic and do they fertilize? And now I'm not blaming NASA for the overall problem with the intercoastal. I'm blaming NASA for that recent fish kill or SpaceX or whoever has been launching recently because it doesn't make any damn sense. When the only thing that's dead are redfish, trout, and black drum, not a single catfish floating amongst them, not a puffer fish, not a nothing, there's something weird is going on. And it needs, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be looked into. Listen, two, was it 2014? No, 18, 16. 2016, when the Banana River rolled up dead, Everybody had their speculation. March, March 16. Yeah. March Everybody 22nd, had. 2015. There, there you go. That's how traumatic of, a, of an event that was for, for locals is that Alex remembers the actual date. I, I don't remember the, I didn't remember the actual date. I just knew that it was in 2016 and it was an early part of, and I remember getting a phone call saying, you have to get to the river and see this. And I, honest to God, I wish I didn't drive to Pineda Causeway that day. But I did. And I witnessed an entire estuary system dead. Like, the level, like, you see all the dead fish down south. You see all the stuff going on with the red tide. And it's all horrible. It's all, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay any of that. I mean, it, that's, that's way more death and carnage than, we've see, than we have ever seen here on the East Coast that, since I've been around. But when you take an entire estuary, and that's what these are, folks. They're estuaries. They're not, they're not rivers. They don't flow every single day in a, certain, in a certain direction all the time. The tide doesn't come in and move the water around. Like I've seen another guy said that, that you know, the tide would help to move things around a little bit better if we didn't have bridges. I'm like, what? You, don't, you clearly don't understand how tides work, but that's cool. You hit the nail on the head when you said you can't continuously pour toxins into an estuary and expect for there never to become a tipping point. And we're there. We're actually we're way past there. We're we're well past it. It's just like I said, trying to get people to understand that the damage is done. It's continuing to happen. No one is saying that. Uh, well, I shouldn't say no one. Very few people are saying a thing of any truth or any value, and no one's being held accountable. I just got my early ballot, my whatever you call it, my sample ballot, and I promise you that I am not voting for a single person that sits on the county commission. I, no one's going to convince me otherwise because in my eyes, they failed us. They continue to fail us because they continue to vote on things that have that and spend money on things that right now 
we shouldn't be spending money on. We should be putting every nickel and dime that's available towards this lagoon system. Every single penny. Kids don't need AstroTurf soccer fields. I don't care where they play. I don't care if it's in Suntry. I don't care if it's in Vieira. I don't care if it's in Rockledge. None of it matters. When I, play, when, when I was little and I played soccer for the brief time that I played soccer, we played on the county soccer fields that were maintained by the county, and sometimes they'd be in good shape and sometimes they weren't. You're a kid. Get out there and run off some energy. That's the only reason why you're playing soccer in the first place. Most of, you know, everybody knows how that goes. It's just whatever. It's a sport. Go play your little sport. Kick your ball around on the soccer. Spend $3 million on AstroTurf. It's just, it doesn't make any damn sense. It doesn't make any sense. I have two words, three words. Common carp and tilapia. Get used to it. <laughs> Thanks, James. Well, and it, it goes just back into the real. same conversation. Wait a minute, it's all into We're eating poop fish. Poop fish. The, the, I'm just the saying, reality no, of it. There's, I agree. There, hold on. There's ways in, in regards to that. There are ways for the human race to come close to being righteous about the way we we collect and process and and push out seafood. Seafood's cheap and it's available as of now. So it has been harvested to the brink of, of to the brink um, doesn't have to be that way and, and the good thing about the ocean is it seems to be really really resilient and golly if we can give it a chance but you know the 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 idea that processing ships sucking things up and spitting out Gordon's fish sticks frozen on the other end into another ship that hauls them to land is sustainable in any way, shape, or form is insanity. We have to take a serious look at what we're doing as a species, period. <laughs> period. Because basically, we suck as a species right now. We, we are a parasite. And listen, I have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a thought. I have, I've come to a conclusion. This, this, may, this may take a second, and it may hurt a little bit because it might not make any sense to anybody else. But right now in my head, it makes perfect sense. So we are a parasite amongst the planet. We've been given this beautiful rock to live on, and we continuously do everything in our power to screw it up. I know the earth goes through phases and changes and seasons and such, but I've been paying a lot of attention to the natural side of what's happening in our, on our planet. And I've been doing some quote unquote research because I'm interested because I, I honestly think that this, this conclusion I've come to is true. <clears throat> I think mother nature's pissed. Call me crazy, but I think mother nature's pissed. I think that, we have shifted the balance out of whack, and thus you're seeing stronger storms, thus you're seeing earthquakes that last 
three to three weeks, three months, you know, however long it's been forever. Three months, I think, until it finally started to slow down. Wildfires that are completely out of control, that are growing at an alarming rate across the West. I earthquakes and such, we got earthquakes going on all around the globe. I think Mother Nature is fed up. I think she gave us a, a, a nice allotted amount of time to get it fixed and figure it out. And because of greed and because of corruption and because of the way just government works in every country, exploit, 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 it's all about the dollar. It doesn't matter about the repercussions. I think Mother Nature's pissed. I, what's my saying about the ocean? The ocean, the ocean wants to kill you. It's just trying to figure out a, a way to do it. I'm telling you, and I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not an Al Gore kind of a person. I'm not a. The world is coming to an end because of whatever. I'm just saying the totality of what we've done to this rock and what we do to our oceans and use them as a trash can, it's going to catch up. It's going to catch up. And our little, our little lagoon system is a prime example. Our, our once beautiful estuary that was considered one of the most ecologically diverse estuary systems on the planet is a damn good example of what we're doing on a much smaller scale to, to the ocean. I mean, it's the same. It's literally the same exact thing. The only difference is, obviously, the oceans have much more, uh, much higher ability to be able to absorb and kind of dilute a lot of the, the nonsense that we as a creature put into the ocean. So I was watching a documentary the other day. They were down in a, in a submersible. A couple divers, scientists were down in a submersible going down to the ocean floor. And in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the ocean, sat a perfectly seated chair. One chair, just a chair, sitting down on the ocean floor in, you know, thousand foot of water. Like someone just placed it there. You can't, you can't go anywhere to see our footprint, our fingerprint of what we've done. As a, as a race, as a, as a species. It's, it's real. It's not, it's not make-believe. It's real. And, you know, folks that, that say that people like myself and Alex and others who, who believe that what we're doing is just, it's on such a, such a level it's not sustainable. They don't believe, you know, they, they don't believe you. They think you're crazy. Oh, you're just getting sucked in. No, I'm not getting sucked in. My eyes are open. When the streets of Miami flood, there's a problem. Like, there's a it, that that's not normal. It's not normal for ocean water to come up through the ground. Like that's that's not normal. Something's happening. Something's happening. I mean. I don't know how what else needs to be stated or what else needs to be shown for people to get it, like really understand and grasp the concept. Like, 
I see people that are that are uh, almost numb to it. They just they accept it as what it. Oh, I'm, but I'm still catching fish, so things are still good. Yeah, I still fish too, and you know what? Things are not good. Like if you started fishing in Central Florida four, five, six, seven, even ten years ago. Yeah, I could see how you think it's still good. But if you fished here 20 years ago, then you know it's, 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 it's not nearly as good as it once was. There's still fish to be caught, no doubt. Alex proves that every, day in and day out. But, it's a big but, how much longer do we have? Debbie Downer, it's, it's, a, it's a topic of conversation that I'm sure many of our listeners are tired of hearing, but the reality of it is it's coming to you. It doesn't matter where you live. It's going to happen. Our problem here in Florida is, for some reason, we continue to build new homes. We keep letting people move here. Like, it's a sandbar, for goodness sakes. Like, we literally live on a sandbar. You don't believe me, dig down into your backyard. Just dig. It might take you two feet, three feet, maybe five feet. You might need to run a PVC pipe into the ground 20 feet. But eventually, you're going to hit what was once the beach or the ocean floor, I guess. I put in my well behind my house in Cocoa, Florida, in Port St. John. I'm right next to I-95. I am probably, what? three miles away from the river by the way the crow flies, maybe two miles, something like that. But I'm probably eight miles or ten miles by the way the crow flies to the ocean. And I went 22 feet into, into the earth behind my house, and at 18 feet I hit beach sand with little clam shells and little periwinkle shells and little the state's not this. The world was not uh, designed for this kind of a population. The state in particular certainly is not built for this kind of a population. Hence, all the sinkholes you always see on TV. Sinkholes happen because people are building houses in areas you shouldn't be building houses. Old swamps. Like it cracks me up to this day that people are building million-dollar homes in Vieira. Like, if you only knew that. 20 years ago, it was literally a celery field or a sod farm. And it was, at, before that, it was a swamp. Like, I don't know that you'd want to build your million dollar house on that piece of property that's hovering above an aquifer that could suck your home into the ground at any moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy to think about. It's crazy. Put a moratorium on it. I say put a moratorium on everybody from developing until every home that's on the market's purchased. <laughs> How many houses are on the market in the state of Florida? How many new homes and new constructions being done every single day? You're breaking ground somewhere for another neighborhood. Shoot, I saw in just my daily travels to and from work I, or during work and when I'm doing my deliveries, I see – several places that are putting up brand new neighborhoods. Like we need another neighborhood in Brevard County because we can handle the amount of sewage waste that we already have to deal with before a hurricane or right after a hurricane. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I I, I don't have a clue. Sorry we got off on the tangent tonight, but it's we're passionate about it. It's something that, that look, I was in Louisiana with James and I I felt like their waterway out in the marsh. I felt like the marsh was a hundred times more healthy than the Indian River Lagoon. And everywhere you look, there's signs of the oil industry. And it physically looked healthier than our, our own waters in our backyard. So think on that for a minute. <laughs> like the swamp, the, the backwater bayous or whatever you want to call it, the marsh of Louisiana looks healthier than our own backyard. Can I tell you why? It's pretty simple. Grass. Grass helps. When you've got grass, that can help to filter out a lot of the issues that come through the waterway. Oh, there's another place that's full of grass that used to do the same thing. What's that place called? Oh, yeah, that's right, the Everglades. The person that created this rock that we live on, whoever that may be that you believe in or not believe in or whatever, whatever force created us and created the oceans and everything else, knew what it was doing, except for us, the us part. Didn't probably expect for us to figure out how to use tools and build crap. Like, didn't think we'd eventually be burning dinosaur gook and turning it into fuel to power around our, our cars that we no longer walk or having batteries for our devices that allow us to stand on it and balance and take off down the street. And Hollywood's not too far off from some of their crazy movies they've come out with over the years of what the future looks like for, for mankind. Big fat guy sitting in a, in a, in a uh, lazy boy eating a donut on some spaceship floating around the galaxy. I mean, possible. I don't know. All I know is that we as a species need to get our act together. And we as a community, especially here in Bavard County, but as a fishing community as a whole, need to rally around each other, no matter where you live, and share the information that's being put out there. If it's if it's a ba- if it's in bad if it's a bad uh, situation in someone's backyard, the more we share this information with people from reputable people, Do, you know, don't just go sharing the stuff that a guy found on Google. You know, obviously follow the bouncing ball as to what you should what you should follow along with. I mean it's not it's not that difficult to figure it out. You can probably Google uh if you Googled Indian River or Banana River dead fish, I would almost guarantee you that at least one news clip with Alex Gritchke in it's gonna pop up. <laughs> so Familiarize yourself with any water condition issues you may have in your in your area. Keep an eye on it. Share it with the world. Nothing gets done until things start to happen. Like, and and the things that need to happen in order for things to get done is people's pockets need to start to be affected. But not the people who are trying to make a living off the resource. The people who make the living off the resource's demise because they're crooked. 
You know how you do that? You stop tourists from coming to your area or to your state as a general rule, which is exactly what's happening right now in Florida. No one's coming down to the West Coast to go vacation on the beach because they've got nationwide coverage of the red tide issue. I don't wish badly for anybody trying to make a living over there. But unfortunately, in, hum- in our society, the only way to get things done or the only way to really rattle any cages is to start to affect the pockets of those who make money off the demise of the resource. And if you think that they don't make money off the tourism industry, you're, sadly, you're sorely mistaken. I just, you know, tough to come on to a podcast and, or host a podcast and be chipper and happy and go lucky all the time and when, you, when your, your church is being destroyed and those who sit in power that, can make, that with a stroke of a pen could really make substantial differences. Just don't care. Just don't care. You think Rick Scott gives a flying flip about Florida's uh, environmental issues? You think Rick Scott loses any sleep when a when a dead manatee comes floating up to a beach and puts it on the news? No. You don't care. He's too busy raising money to to make it into Congress. What was the number? There's a number that that was shared of what he's raised during his campaign and in correlation with what's been given in the emergency fund for Florida's new state of emergency, which is the naturally occurring red tide, not the Okeechobee discharges that continue to pour water out. I didn't miss that one when he, when he called it the state of emergency. I, I didn't see anything mentioned about Brevard County's state of emergency. Did you? And if we're not in a state of emergency, I don't know what one looks like. I don't know what one looks like. Water sure to be an emergency to me. I don't know why it doesn't seem to be to everybody else. I mean... Now, I saw another – this will be my last thing. I'm off the soapbox, and we'll finish up with some other chit-chat. But I saw a post the other day that really pissed me off, like to the point to where I almost jumped on and just went off. But my wife has on many occasions convinced me that it's not a good idea to get on Facebook and rant on, on particular posts, correct? All the time, she says. But somebody said that it's in- – and I don't know if you saw this, Alex. You may have. But somebody said it's interesting to me that the guys who are making a living off the resource want to take away the rights of others to use the resource. And that, to me, almost sent me into a fit of rage because – that's the problem. That, that guy is the problem. If you think for a second 
that a man who has dedicated his life to our fisheries, to our lagoons, because when you become a guide, that's what you do. You spend more time on the water. Most of the, you, know, you probably spend more time on the water than you do on dry land most of the time during the year. You miss out on events with your kids. You're, you're married to that lagoon. You have to know where the fish are. You have to follow them. You have to put in your time. It's not easy as saying, oh, well, I got one charter this week, so I'm going to go pre-fish the day before and I'm going to figure it out. No, it doesn't work that way in our area. These guys who make a living on the water put in their time and their effort to do so. Are we trying to push for a catch and release only situation within the confines of the Merritt Island Wildlife Refuge? Yes, absolutely. Are there people that are upset about the fact that we're trying to get redfish and trout to be catch and release only in the borders of the Merritt Island Wildlife Refuge? Yes. There's people that are angry about it. Here's my question to you people who are angry about it or to think that taking away the right to harvest your bag limit of fish is still okay. Let me ask you a question. You really, really want to feed that stuff to your kids? You really want to take home a fish that's been swimming in the toxic sludge for years to your kids? I think about the fact that I've fed black drum to my kids on a regular basis for a few years in a row. I fed it to my wife. I fed it to my, myself, my neighbors. There's people that are literally losing their minds over the fact that they think they're going to lose the right to catch a fish. It's not the deal. Our estuaries are in such bad shape that that's, that that's the littlest thing that we can do with the least amount of impact as far as monetarily and the least amount of uh, uh, effort is to just turn the fish loose, let the fish go. You know, you want to keep a redfish, but I mean, really, do you have to? But if you really have to keep a redfish, then don't fish within the confines of the wildlife refuge. And people say, oh, there's no problem with the stock. There's no problem with the stock of the redfish in the Indian River Lagoon. I've seen it set up, posted several times. Really? When's the last time you've seen a big group of, of breeders? When's the last time you came across spawning fish? I'll wait. How do you think that those those little slot size reds and rat reds and upper slot reds, how do you think they come to exist? That's what made our area so special is that our redfish never left. Look, I, I have not put my eyes on a legitimate school of breeder fish in at least three years like multiple schools, like you used to see them. I just don't see them in the river like I used to. Do you, Alex? Uh, no. No. It's, uh... I mean, flat out. <laughs> Most of the Banana River ones die. Yeah. Yeah, we saw them. Float yeah. Belly up. 50... 50 plus inch redfish just floating everywhere. The schools that used to ball up from 405 to 528 are a shadow of them former selves if they ever even group up anymore. Same with the North Indian schools. So, you know, that is that's part one of the, of the reasons. 
Sorry. It's partially water quality, but it's also partially our neglect. You know, the 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 willingness to accept that people should run over schools of redfish while they're in the middle of a spawn in an attempt to catch them and run them over again and then run them over again and again and again and again and not feeling that that will have any detrimental effect to that population of spawning fish, which is naive, you know. And then you lob on top of that a whole bunch of water quality issues and, you know, there you go. I hate, we can't help but I don't I don't want to say the word be amused or the words be amused, but you know for a long time or, or in the mid nineties, you know, they fought hard to get the gillnets out of the river and it was a really good thing. You know, and and now these same gillnetters are sitting back going, Look, see what? It was you know now they can literally say it's not just us that's the problem with fish stocks, it it's really you guys, you know really people and and their influence and and now in hindsight as we get further into it you know a healthy lagoon could support a lot of a lot of stuff not that gill nets need to be back in the water by any means because that was not right in our area but you know to eliminate one destructive fishing measure yet not even look inward in any way shape or form for years you know, is a is I guess a hallmark, honestly, of our species, is an in, or our, ourselves, is is an inability to look inwards in a lot of times. But anyways, I'm feeling too preachy. I got to get out of here. <laughs> All right, brother man. Well, what else you got going on? Anything new and exciting we need to know about? Um. Well, I got that nice truck that I got. That was pretty awesome. Um. Yes, sir. Congratulations. That and, uh, it looks Looks like, hopefully, fingers crossed, we very well might be picking up the boat this Friday for a little last oh, finishing sweet. touches on the water. So hopefully, hopefully, come uh, come about the time snook season opens up, we should be hopefully dropping a boat in the water, going fishing. Fantastic! That's awesome, man. That's yeah. good news. Long process. Mm-hmm. And if anybody Very wants well. to go on a charter with you, sir, how uh, how do they do so? Uh, just hit me up at 321-480-3255 or localinescharter.com. Excellent. Thanks, bro. I appreciate you being here. And, uh, yeah. Sorry for the preach moment or preach hour, but, you know, it. sometimes it just takes hold. That's what happens when you're when you're passionate about something, the way that we're passionate about our waters. And uh, I would I would assume all of you are the same way about whichever waters it is that you fish. Drop us a line on Facebook. Drop us a line on Instagram. Let us know that you listen to us. We appreciate that as always. Uh, definitely appreciate uh, James joining us. Did you get the cupcake? Man, I've got cupcake delivered. I got fuel tank filled up. All mandatory husband items were taken care of. <laughs> so there you go. Fantastic. There you go. We're and we're flying you. out tomorrow. Where are you going? We are going to gonna fly into Baltimore. 
going to um my wife's going to fly in the middle of the day to Baltimore, have dinner with her father and stepmother. I'm flying after work. She's going to pick me up. We're going to go down to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Um we're going to eat crab cakes. We're going to eat caramel apples. We're going to eat caramel corn. Um we're going to eat fresh corn on the cob cuz Delaware has really good corn on the cob this time of year. And my buddy in Delaware, Sean, is going to take me out one night under the lights for striper and blues. Interesting enough, he said that a lot of their fresh water in Delaware has got an algae bloom going on right now, too. Not brown algae. Mm. But they've got, you know, a lot of farmland in Delaware, especially lower Delaware, a lot of farmland. So you got a lot of fertilizer, you know, corn, such. But they've had a tremendous boom in housing a lot of the people who live in D.C. and Maryland are retiring to Delaware because they have no taxes on anything just about. So he sent me, I sent him an email and said, hey, I'm coming up. Can we want to sneak out and try to get some stripers and blues? He said, yeah. He said the fresh water is, uh, a lot of the fresh water has got algae blooms right now because of the weather they have and everything. So we probably won't do any freshwater fishing, but, you know, I'm going to try to sneak around and get some stripers and blues. I'm taking a nine weight and a seven weight. Nice. So we will see. Well, hopefully you get on some fish. Hopefully the wife has a good trip. I'm sure you guys have a great time. Now having traveled with you to a couple different places, I know you're going to eat well. So that goes without saying. You got to. Um, <clears throat> you got to, man. Yeah, if you don't eat, you die. <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Well, wish the wish the missus a happy birthday from the Levi family, if you will. I will. And just remember, common carp and tilapia. The future of Florida fishing. The future is now. You know what we should? Oh my God, Alex, we should, we should seriously do a video like that. Like wear like nineteen, like nineteen eighties attire. The future, future, future is now. Common carp. Common carp, garden carp. No, maybe. That's right. Ah, tilapia. Coming to a ditch near you. Exactly. Super exciting times. We start learning some uh, some new tilapia patterns in the vice. Folks, take a kid fishing in the future of our sport. If you don't have kids, maybe you could take a neighbor's kid, or maybe you have a nephew or a niece you can get into it. We need for the young people to get off the computers. We need for them to get off of the, the devices and social media and the gaming. And we need for them to go outside and experience the natural world so that, therefore, when they're our age, they care about it. Or not by the time they're our age. Hopefully they start caring about it sooner than that. But you know what I'm trying to say. We need the, ne- we need the next generation of people coming onto this planet to or arriving through well, we won't go into that. Well, we we need the next generation to uh, really step it up and uh, learn to love the outdoors the way that my generation, James' generation, and the generations prior all did. Because it's it's not there's going to be nothing left. That's right. That's right. I got a random question before you go. Yeah. Are you using the Gamagatsu saltwater series for your fly time? 
yes, sir. Okay. I, uh, I thought you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been I've been favoring the gamagatsus. But you know what? Real quick. I've been trying to find a gamagatsu hook that is similar to the mustad shrimp hook. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the number of that mustad in front of me, but that might be my mission tonight is to go on gamagatsu's website and see if I can't find something. Um, my favorite hook to tie on for redfish and black drum and that kind of thing, crustacean eaters, is a 41379B as in boy, N as in November, number four through number one from Grip, Grip Hooks. That hook was actually designed as a carp hook originally. And See, there you go. Hey, and uh, what what is very similar to a redfish in, in a lot of ways? A carp. So there you go. But yes, uh, as general rule of thumb, Gamagatsu is the hooks that I've been using the most because I had so many issues with breaking on of uh, mustads. So you know, I'm not saying that all mustad hooks are bad. I love I love certain mustad hooks, but unfortunately, a lot of the hooks I like to tie on with must that are mustads tend to break in my vice, and it's not miss. It's not uh, poor hook placement within the jaws of the vise. I learned hook placement in jaws of the vise the proper way from Andy Renzetti. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say he knows a thing or two about where to put a hook in a vise. So simply just tying normal flies, not really wrenching down on nothing, just breaking hooks in the jaws. Like the most frustrating thing I think that a fly tire can experience besides losing a bunch of flies to fish, but that's not really that frustrating. That's kind of fun. So, but anyway, I digress. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me, Redfish Chuck, on all the social media platforms. Uh, you can shoot me an email if you have questions as well, redfishchuck at gmail.com and, uh, or redfishchuck at hotmail.com, same difference. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Sometimes. James, good night, sir. Good night. Megalodon don't care. Megalodon don't give an F. Uh-huh.